Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Dress, the history of fashion, is a production of Dress Media. billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Trust, the History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary and April Callahan. And we are also back dressed we're listeners. Back. Yay, <laughs> we're so excited to be here. Thank you for waiting for us. <laughs> For any of you who may have just joined us, um, we have been on a little bit of a longer hiatus than we anticipated because we have taken the podcast independent after five years of being with iHeartRadio. Yes. And of course, we're so grateful to iHeartRadio. We got our start there when it was How Stuff Works, then became iHeartRadio. Holly Fry was our champion from day one. And of course, so many thank yous to Casey Pagram, our beloved sound editor and producer. We're so grateful to our time there. It really shaped the podcasters that we are. And now we've been spending the last couple of months trying to find the of the podcasters we're going to be in the future as we start this new chapter for dress not just the dress podcast but dress media which is our new company yeah we're so excited to be here yeah and and i always like to joke that it was time for us to proverbially move out of the parents basement and uh, (laughs) here we are newly independent happy to be back but um one of the entire kind of exercises of doing so was so that we can build the brand, expand the brand, and bring you guys more content um, and different types of things. So not just perhaps classes, but also we are expanding our um, offerings of fashion history tours that we have already kind of started been doing. Cass and I are going to be in Paris for almost all of June, running a couple different fashion history trips. The first trip is sold out, but the second trip actually has a few slots left. I know it's a quick turnaround here, friends, but um, that trip is going to be from June 19th through June 27th. So if you want to hop on board, there are still a few slots left. And we have New York coming up. Cass, you want to talk about that? Yeah, so New York is still very much in the prelim stages, but we're hoping to do a New York City tour in the fall or early, I guess we should say early winter. And that actually is going to be very, very exciting because I'm just going to say this, there might be a dressed gala event in our future. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, stay tuned for more info. And if you would like more info, if you want to register for our Paris trip or you want to register your interest for our New York trip, head to likemindstravel.com and go ahead and you can sign up there. 
And just so you know, we also have a new website that's dressedhistory.com. We have a new email, hello at dressedhistory.com. You know, we love hearing from you. Our Instagram's the same. We'll be more active on Facebook, which is dressed podcast without the underscore. Um, and we're also going to hope to be launching a newsletter this summer. So if you want to be a part of that, send us an email, send us a DM with your email so that we can keep you up to date um, on with our newsletter, which will have kind of fashion history happenings, as well as keeping you apprised of what's happening with the dress podcast, which, you know, includes things like classes, and we hope to launch a book club, some webinars. And then April, you also have launched our bookshelf. Do you want to tell dress listeners about that? Yes. So um, again, another one of our most frequent requests from you guys is a list of all the books that we have talked about on the show over the years, and or some of our favorite recommendations, which we have done a couple of smaller episodes about that, but now they are all conveniently located online for you on the dressed bookshelf where you can just go right in and order the book. Um, So we are working with this very, very cool Brooklyn-based organization called bookshop.org who partners with local independent booksellers um, in all over the United States. And how that works is we have our own little page through their their website. Um, We set up all of our books. There's over 100 titles in there currently. You can order the book through an independent bookseller. They, of course, get their money. The author gets their little their cut for selling a book. And then Cass and I get a teeny tiny little commission as well. But um, really, it's not about the money for us. It was just this really smart and easy interface for us to have all of these like titles um, that we have featured on the show, as well as some of our favorite books as well. And that will continue to expand as new books come out and as we have new guests on. It's there. So many oh. exciting things. Oh, and you ahead. can find it. <laughs> I should probably <laughs> tell you where you can find it. There will be a button on the website, of course, but uh, you can also find it at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash dressed. And without further ado, dress listeners, we are going to bring you our much beloved, always requested, a month late, but nevertheless, here we are. Late is better than never. <laughs> the Met Gala episode. Better late than never. We kind of went back and forth about if we should do it or not, but you all love this episode so much. It's always kind of our number one episode of the season. We always have a lot to say on it. We watch it with bated breath. And this year is certainly no exception. I have a lot to talk about. I know April does as well, because this was actually kind of a controversial Met Gala and exhibition. April, do you want to talk a little bit more about the exhibition or should I kind of introduce the subject of the exhibition yeah, first? Why don't, we, why don't we talk about the subject um, and also too maybe a little bit about why that subject might be controversial or rather is controversial. <laughs> so all of you probably know this or many of you know this. Um, of course, we cannot assume we have listeners from all around the world, but the topic of this year's Met Gala was one Carl Lagerfeld incredibly famous, incredibly influential designer, one of the most influential designers of the 20th and 21st centuries, undeniable, also one of the most controversial, Uh, very high profile, very public, very outspoken with his opinions on numerous things, which we'll talk about in a minute. But first, I kind of just wanted to do kind of a little introduction and maybe overview of his career, April. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then I'll talk about the exhibition itself after that. And then, and then we'll talk about the, can you divorce an artist from his art question? <laughs> so <laughs> Carl was born in Germany in 1933. 
three. And actually, there is much like Chanel debate to when he was actually born. I think he's kind of obscured the fact. So I, I saw 1933, 1935, I'm sure. Um, but he was a son of a wealthy Hamburg businessman. And like Chanel, Carl obscured his past. But that was something that journalist Alicia Drake went a long way in uncovering and her very highly acclaimed, but also highly despised book. <laughs> Carl hated this book. <laughs> 2007 book, Beautiful Fall, Fashion Genius and Glorious Excess in 1970s Paris, which basically charts the parallel and intersecting lives of Carl Lagerfeld and Yves Saint Laurent. Carl actually had it banned in France. So mm -hmm. if you want to read what all the hype's about and read more about Carl's like who Carl was, where he come, comes from and his life, you can check that book out. It's so good. I read it in a day. I could not put it down. But something I want to address immediately, because this is something that came up a lot in the coverage of Karl Lagerfeld, is he is not a Nazi. Period. He lived in Nazi Germany. He was a child in Nazi Germany, yes. depending on how old, if you believe his birthday, 1933, 1935 or 38, he was, he was a child. He was like eight, nine, 10, 11. So let's just put that to bed right there. His parents were members of the Nazi party, which if you weren't a member of the Nazi party at that time, you would have been killed, right? So people did what they had to do. I'm not making excuses for them in any way. There is evidence that his mother, once she found out about what was happening, kind of, you know, stepped away from it. Distanced but his father herself. was part of, yeah, distanced herself. There's like letters from her and stuff. Not the topic of our conversation today. Carl is not a Nazi. So I'm just... I just wanted to get that out of the way because that was something I'm sure you saw too, April, that came up a lot. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of other problems with Carl, but that's not one of them. So he had no trouble making problems of his own. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Him and his family immigrated to France eventually um, when he was a young man. And that's really where he developed his love for drawing and history and fashion. In 1955, he took first place prize in the Coates category of the International Wool Secretariat Design Competition. Yves Saint Laurent took first place in the dress category. And then that same year, 1955, he was hired by Pierre Belmont as his assistant, and then in 1958, he went to work for Jean Patou, followed by a brief stint at a Roman couture house, Tiziano, before becoming the designer for the French fashion house, Chloe, in 1964. 1965, followed by a short design stunt at, stint at Curiel, which I'm actually not familiar with. And this was the same year that he began his collaboration with Fendi. And in 1982 is when Lagerfeld took his most, you know, prestigious high profile appointment was at the helm of Chanel, which a lot of people might not know at that time, it really was a bit of a dusty relic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 he revitalized Chanel essentially. Yeah. Chanel died, I think in 1971. And so this house had kind of hung around, but it wasn't anything, you know, au couture had kind of fallen out of favor. It really was about high and ready to wear. Chanel, you know, Carl told the New York Times that everybody said, don't touch it. It's dead. It will never come back. But by then I thought it was a challenge. And we all know what he did with Chanel. He brought yeah. it into the future. He transformed that house into one of the most recognizable, coveted, multi-billion dollar companies in the world, which is why people who are complaining about Carl, the Carl Lagerfeld Met exhibition, it's like, there was never not going to be a Carl Lagerfeld Met exhibition. <laughs> it was always going to happen. 
So um, because of what he did to that brand and because of how important um, and, and huge that brand is today and because that brand sponsored the exhibition, which you can now tell us all about, April, because yeah, you yeah, happened yeah. to be there on opening day. I was. I was. I was invited to go to the press preview event, actually, which takes place the morning and early afternoon of the Met Gala. So I got to see the show even before the celebs did, as did um, my fellow press, fashion press from all over the world. But this event is fascinating in and of its own, right? Because it's not just for press, like there's kind of like the who's who of the fashion world, whoever it, it may be going to the gala later that night, maybe they're not, but you know, there's models there, there's designers, there's curators, there's fashion press. It's like the who's who of fashion insiders kind of. Um, and, uh, of course the director of, uh, the Met gave a little introduction and head curator of the costume Institute, uh, Andrew Bolton spoke. And also one of Carl's closest friends, Carla Bruni was there on hand and did a really, really lovely talk. She said he was a universally curious man. He was interested in everything except for mediocrity. Behind his armor of image, he was a very kind heart. And I, of course, I've seen Carla Bruni on videos and on TV and stuff in the past, but has that woman has the sexiest voice I have ever heard. It was, it was amazing. She's captivating. Yes, of course. She's the former first lady of France. And yeah, obviously um, a huge supermodel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and singer, performer, celebrity extraordinaire. She's done it all. But um, it was really funny because I saw Avery Truffleman there and we were like, we just want Carla Bruni to read us stories to sleep. Like <laughs> Audiobook like, account, please. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, Andrew Bolton spoke specifically about the exhibition and just to kind of fill you guys like in a little bit, he said that 10,000 garments were considered to be part of the exhibition. That's kind of like the pool of garments that they started with. And they eventually pared that down to 200, which is really wow. fashion, which is really, really fascinating. And, and again, to that point about there wasn't ever not going to be a Carl Lagerfeld exhibition. <laughs> Andrew did point out that Carl did not believe in fashion exhibitions and museums. He he spoke out against it on multiple occasions, but at the same time, um, he never said no to a request, which got a pretty big giggle from the audience <laughs> that morning. <laughs> because Carl is this rather problematic figure within the history of fashion, but yet at the same time, an undisputed creative genius, they kind of skirted the larger biographical kind of aspect that some fashion exhibitions focus on when it comes to doing design like exhibitions on single designers what they really did instead is they focus on the, his creative output over seven different decades and the exhibition itself is called a line of beauty and it is structured thematically around different qualities of line that are displayed in his creations. So like, I'm just going to throw some of the categories out there. There's like the ornamental line, the structural line, the floral line, the geometric line. But within some of these other categories, they explore specific dualities that are juxtaposed against each other. So like the serpentine versus the straight line, the romantic versus the military line, or the historical versus the futuristic line. So all of this was creating a, a sort of theoretical construct for the exhibition. I will say this, at some point, as, as I was kind of like working my way through, I just 
stopped thinking about the line subject matter entirely because I became captivated by the craftsmanship (laughs) of these pieces. So to me, that was my big takeaway was that they did, they did put so much focus in whittling down from 10,000 to 200 to these pieces that are, you know, evidencing the creme de la creme of Paris haute couture in terms of the makers, right? The embroiderers, the flower makers, you know, these insane sequin encrusted creations that represent thousands and thousands of hours of labor on part of entire ateliers of people who were not Carl. So yeah, you, you really... and that's one of his greatest legacies, right? Mm-hmm. Is the Metier d'Art show, which Chanel does every year, mm-hmm. because Chanel and Carl were so instrumental in preserving these crafts that would have otherwise been lost, right? Especially in like this fast fashion era where we just have so gone so far away from the maker and creator. Um, Chanel and Carl, and we have to give him credit there, has been incredibly instrumental in preserving flower makers, the leaders, all of those artisans that go into the haute couture um, and making the haute couture what it is, Carl was instrumental in that. And that was exhibited every year in that Metier d'Art show, which was created specifically to showcase those mm-hmm. artisans. So that's really nice to hear. I mean, and not surprising that that's on on full view in the exhibition. Yeah, for, cer- for certainly. Like the, the quality and the craftsmanship is, is really astounding. So some of the pieces you actually get to see quite up close as well. You can see those details. You can really, truly understand how much work went into these pieces. They're art. Pure and simple. Yeah. Something I was also reading, I can't remember where, but maybe it was the exhibition website that I thought was really, really cool is that Carl did these two-dimensional drawings, but they were they weren't just drawings. They were like a communication tool with his premieres. The the people who would translate his designs into reality could read these illustrations and knew what he meant. Mm-hmm. So it was like this communication tool uh, as well. And so much more than just a drawing, because as we know, Carl loved to draw. He drew from the time he was very, very young throughout his entire life. There's that picture of him, of course, at his desk. And he's just got like two or three feet piled high with books and papers. And he sits in the middle drawing and sketching. Right? Yeah, yeah. He he once said um, that he doesn't believe people are truly a designer if they don't sketch. Yeah, which is interesting. interesting. And there is, they did a, a very interesting little kind of like recreation of Carl's desk that is kind of towards the beginning of the exhibition. It's just like piled high with paper and books. One of the books on the desk is a Paré book, by the way thought that was interesting. For those of you dress listeners, if if you have a chance to go to the Yves Saint Laurent Museum in Paris, they have preserved Yves Saint Laurent's office, which is very similar. And again, it's just one of those like behind the scenes things that just remind you that he's a human being, right? Mm -hmm. Behind the glitz and the glamour and the dresses, it kind of brings that humanity in. So it sounds like they're doing something similar with Karl Lagerfeld, who we of course promised to discuss the question of can you divorce the artist from the art, because as you said, April, they really did do that, Mm -hmm. right? They chose not to focus on his biography um, because if they did, then they'd have to address like his comments on the Me Too movement, his comments on immigrants and plus-sized individuals, right? He's incredibly fat phobic. And, you know, there's just all these issues and they're like, we're not going to deal with those. We're just going to focus on his art. And they did something really similar with the Chanel exhibition at the Palais Galliera, right? Mm-hmm. Again, not about her biography, about her innovation. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, it's it's one of those questions, right? Because it's not like it's just Karl Lagerfeld or Chanel. There's tons of 
problematic people who produced these huge bodies of works that were indebted to, right? right? Do you throw the baby so out with the bathwater? You... <laughs> Artistically speaking. And we're not just talking in fashion. I mean, again, like no. across the board in terms of all realms of creativity or are... Michael Jackson's a prime example yeah. or like, you know, people who produce these incredible bodies of work that have transformed popular culture that are songs you recognize, right? That are incredibly problematic or horrible people, right? And then it's like, well, what do you do with that, what they produce? Mm -hmm. um, well, I will say this, the, so. the, the one way that they did kind of address a lot of these controversies, and, and I thought it was quite mm -hmm. smart how they did do it. They let him speak it for himself. So there is <laughs> That's this one kind of little um, rondelle, kind of like a semicircular room towards the end of the exhibition that has, I don't know, a few dozen iPhones attached to the wall. And they've been programmed with video content with little images of Carl that pop up, but then quotes that he said. And some of these are the more problematic quotes. So I oh, think this was their kind of nod. I mean, and not all of them, not all of them were, but it, it was kind of like their, their nod to his kind of outspoken or um, as Andrew Bolton put it, fearsome <laughs> reputation <laughs> um you know it wasn't some of the, of his worst comments but like it was a, it was a direct nod to him you know as a person you know yeah perhaps being yeah. kind of an a-hole yeah exactly just saying <laughs> um and something else I've heard a lot of people say is you know there's like so many other people who deserve this exhibition right because we had people like Terry Mugler or Issa Miyake or Vivian Westwood who all died also not within a timeline especially within Vivian Westwood that would have allowed them to plan this Carl died in 2019 took four years to create this exhibition that tells you how long it takes to create yeah. an exhibition and then of course you know Another thing I read was like, you know, Andre Leon Talley um, is noticeably absent um, from a lot of the festivities or from any of this kind of recognition, or I don't know if he was any part in the exhibition. Um, him and Carl were friends um, and collaborators for a long time um, and before they had a falling out. We all know Andre Leon Talley had a falling out with Anna Wintour. And something that Vicky Pass, uh, who is at Visual Sustenance on Instagram, if you don't follow her, definitely do. She's a fountain of information. She posts the most informative posts. And she post, she posted about, and she's an Andre Leontali fan and not a Carl Lagerfeld fan, but she made a really apt observation, which is that if you open the May issue of Vogue, which was entirely dedicated to Carl, I haven't seen anything like that. American Vogue, even the advertisers were dedicated to Carl mm. Lagerfeld. The entire issue, advertisers, everything is love for Carl. So that's got to tell you something, right? But the opening image, her and Anna Wintour and Carl Lagerfeld were dear friends. The opening image with the editor letter from her is of her and Carl with their backs facing the photographer and they're in a car. This is like her love letter to Carl Lagerfeld. Well, as Vicky pointed out, Andre Leontelli was a huge part of that photo shoot. <laughs> he was in the photo, <laughs> right? He's in the photo. Yeah, he's in and and just gone, erased. It's absent. just the angle. It's right? like the angle the, of the mm -hmm. that particular photo that they chose to publish kind of like omitted omitted him from like yeah. it, it not just being the two of them, but it was actually the three of them. Yeah. This is interesting too because yes. I actually am long overdue and a little embarrassed to admit that I am just now reading the Chiffon Trenches like um 
And just a couple of days ago, I, I got to the point where Andre tells the story of how he and Carl, who have been friends for decades at this point, yep. like the closest yep. friends possible, how they had their falling out. And it was because Andre went to Carl after the photographer Deborah Turbeville passed away, who was a significant, did a significant amount of fashion related um photography in addition to her other work and he proposed the idea to Carl that they do an exhibition of Deborah's photography and that offended Carl so much because he himself is also a fashion photographer but this is a story as old as time like he would do this thing where somebody would just kind of something simple would set him off and he just cut Andre completely out of his life from that point moving forward, like, and never, looked and never back. looked back. And this story happens with everybody in his life again and again and again and again, over and over and over and over with his closest friends. Um, there were very few people actually that, that made it through to the end with him um, all along the way. So once you were cut out, you were, you were done, you were over, you were toast. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because you hear about that, not just with people in his life, but like with his collection collecting, right? Like he was a huge, he loved art and history and he like built this massive, like multi-million dollar collection of 18th century interior design elements, et cetera. And then one day just decided he was done, sold it all, got rid of it. And then did this like completely modern, like apartment, right? Like moving Mm -hmm. forward. And that was something about Carl that you read a lot about is he always had his finger on the pulse. And even as he got older, he was always on the now. He is always part of the now and the now conversation. And he took Chanel into that conversation and into the 21st century in really profound ways that set the standard for fashion for a very, very long time. So you can't really deny his influence. And and like I said, despite everybody else's, you know, deserving of an exhibition, there was never not going to be a Karl Lagerfeld exhibition because how close he was with Anna Wintour um, because of of how influential Chanel and Fendi are. They're both sponsored the exhibition. And because he was just this seismic force for so, so mm-hmm. long that this exhibition was always going to happen. Yeah. So, he, was, he was designing for multiple uh, labels all at once, long before yes. John Galliano was doing the same, <laughs> long before Lee McQueen was doing the same. And he sustained it even longer. Like, it's really interesting because he really did still always kind of conceptualize himself as a dressmaker. One of the quotes that I love from him the most, he says, in the end, I am just a mercenary hired to support a label, which is interesting. Interesting. So he was a fashion soldier. Um, I also read, t- yes. And I mean, he really was, right? Because he didn't have, like, he was married to his job, mm-hmm. to his work. And um, Andrew Bolton, I think, talked about how he was four people, right? Even though he designed for all of these labels consistently or um, at the same time, he still maintained these distinctive aesthetics with each label. Yep. Like, with Fendi, there's Fendi, of course, and then Chloe is very romantic. Karl Lagerfeld, his own eponymous line, um, minimalist. Uh, Chanel, very historic and homage to Chanel, while also, you know, blending it with like kind of contemporary influences. And, and yeah, I mean, really a prolific, prolific designer. And which kind of, I think, can transition us to the Met Gala a little bit, because to me, I'm like, okay, the theme and the dress code was in honor of Carl. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very limiting, right? So I'm like, this is not exciting. I was not excited about this exhibition. I wasn't excited about <laughs> this red carpet because I'm like, okay, 
it's the vision of one singular designer. How are you going to be creative? How are you going to bring us like what we want to see? Um, because it's very limiting, right? And what you can do. And really there's only like four ways you can do it. And you're talking about like, the celebrities, like what are they going to wear, right? Yeah. Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? Because you can, by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this (laughs) hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion, and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation so you learn the proper accent from the very start. For a limited time, dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So overall, it was very limiting, right? There's only a certain number of ways people can go. And I identified four of them. I mean, I didn't, everybody identified it. There's only so many ways you can go. So attendees properly paid homage to Carl in one of four ways, vintage Carl Lagerfeld. And this is what I was expecting to see a lot of because he has such a prolific history, right? Because he has such a prolific um, design. um, Seven decades worth of work to pick from. (laughs) 
that this is an exciting opportunity to actually see vintage on the red carpet. So in this way, the red carpet's going to be exciting. So there's the vintage angle, then there's the Karl Lagerfeld cosplay angle. So paying homage to elements of his singular style um, and his, um, and then there's also, and, and of course to Choupette, who will talk about his cat. Then there's the option of paying homage to elements of his design vocabulary that we're familiar with at Chanel. And then wearing looks from the contemporary incarnations of Fendi and Chanel. That's really it. That's really all you can do with In Honor of Carl. So I don't know what your thoughts were, April. I would overall label this year's red carpet, and I told the Associated Press this, as beautiful but boring. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, <laughs> we did have some moments of surprise. And maybe oh, we should start with those. <laughs> yeah, well, and start by telling people that we actually, for the first year, played along with Risa Britannia, who is, of course, a past dress guest, a fashion historian. We played along with her Met Gala bingo. Do you want to tell dress listeners about that? Because yeah. that was actually really fun. So I think maybe this is like the fifth year or so that she's done it, maybe the sixth year. Um, but Risa, a few years ago, created this concept of Met Gala Bingo, where essentially she hypothesizes the categories for what we might see on the Met Gala red carpet based on the theme of the exhibition, right? So whatever those categories are, she takes it and puts it into the square of a bingo card. And then as the red carpet coverage comes on TV, she finds these celebrities wearing an ensemble that meets that category and they get stamped off on the bingo card. And this all <laughs> happens on Instagram stories. It's amazing. But of course, before the Met Gala, I was like, hey, do you want to partner with us? And we can do like an Instagram live and we can play Met Gala Bingo live over Instagram, which we did. Um, and I just want to read off a few of the categories for this year, which, you know, were quite fun. All the ones that I'm going to mention were actually stamped off. So they, they did happen. Um, there was unnecessary sunglasses. Another one was pearls for Chanel groundbreaking. Another one was Fat Phobia <laughs> is so last season. Random Barbie Core, which is more of a, like a pop culture reference. And somebody did do it. OnlyFans, amazing. Um, and <laughs> the one that I think that we should talk about next, that category was actually dressed as a cat. <laughs> and not yes, only did was, we yeah. see one, two, but three, three and more people actually dressed as Carl's cat Choupette. Yes. Plenty of people paying homage to like Carl. Well, I don't know actually how many people. Let's see. Carla, Cara Delevingne, who was one of his like favorite models. She, she paid homage to Carl. She wore like kind of his iconic white shirt, right? With his gloves and then his silverly, silvery blue hair. And uh, she shared kind of her Chanel, favorite Chanel memories. There was a lot of kind of sweet memories on the red carpet. Anna Wintour even got emotional, which is, I've never seen her get emotional. Um, but anyways, and then a lot of people like through Tom, I don't even, I was going to say Tom Brown, but like, I don't know how many people did the Carl Lagerfeld cosplay as much as the Choupette cosplay. Yeah. <laughs> two so, two people specifically. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Three actually. And there were actually more. But for any of our listeners who do not know who Choupette is, we should probably explain this. Choupette was Carl's very much beloved Berman cat. Uh, Choupette was born in 2011. And upon Carl's death in 2019, he left Choupette $1.5 million 
Um, Choupette was indeed invited to the red carpet of the Met Gala. And was supposed to show up. Yeah. Declined the invitation. (laughs) Um, But, you know, he was obsessed with his cat, essentially. Um, And so we knew that this was going to, there was going to be some Choupette cosplay for sure. Um, Probably the two or three most noted um, doing this kind of theme was Jared Leto, Doja Cat, and Lil Nas X. Uh, Jared Leto came in a full furry suit as yes. Chupet, as Chupet. So, as a realistic uh, interpretation of Chupet. Yeah. Nobody knew who it was inside the suit <laughs> for, for a while until he took his, his head off. Um, and then do you want to talk about Doja's look a little bit, Cass? Doja, I mean, has really become one of my favorite celebrities on the red carpet because she really goes all in. And I appreciate that and really like is celebrates like the art form for instance she showed up i think it was the scaparelli spring summer haute couture show this last fall she showed up completely in red covered from like her, all over her head and chest in i don't know tens they of thousands Rossi's, yeah crystals. yeah crystals um sat sitting through like hours and hours and hours of makeup um and she did the same thing for the red carpet she had actual prosthetics put on her face to uh to imitate not a little less literal um but um and more beautiful interpretation of you know she is doja cat so she came as a cat literally came as a cat and actually it's really funny too because there's a lot of uh, pictures where she's puffing on her what are those things called her vape on the red carpet um she's kind of a, she trips me out she's funny she's a hoot uh yeah she is a hoot and i really <laughs> really loved her i thought hers was a lot more artistic and less literal than you know jared leto which was kind of just kind of jokey silly i don't know mm-hmm. well speaking of uh body paint and covering yourselves in crystals then we also have a little nas x who also paid tribute to Choupette, wearing only very kind of very brief silver trunks and really tall platform boots. Um, The rest of his body was covered in body paint and thousands of rhinestones applied by Pat McGrath and her amazing team. And so this was an overall silver effect. And then he had on like a very intense kind of crystal rhinestone cat mask and a tail. And he had on claws with very, very long, long nails. So this was yet another shoe pet reference. Um, And it hilariously a lot of press the next day wasn't necessarily about that look but the fact that he turned up at Janelle Monet's after party just a couple hours later completely clean of all of this complete right. head-to-toe body paint makeup and they're like how did they even do that and because he was his <laughs> chest was bare and they were like how did that turnaround happen anyway um <laughs> yeah so those were those were the top shoe pet uh, references there were more actually on the carpet as well so yeah one of the hosts had like a little choupette handbag like a lot of people paid paid homage that way and then of course a fair share of little tributes to carl's signature style you had fingerless gloves crisp white high collared shirts unnecessary sunglasses i mean really employed so much as to become quickly redundant which is what i was talking about and i was like there's mm-hmm. really not that much room for like artistic expression or creativity and most guests, in, especially in like the homage category, so other brands and other designers paying homage to Carl, you know, fell into this like trope trap, right? So largely defined by Chanel and Chanel aesthetics, not even Carl's. So like black and white, camellias, boucle, pearls, 
you know, so many different, so many different versions of that, which is kind of disappointing when you consider that there's this entire fashion exhibition that is here to celebrate this seven decade long career across all of these different brands. And yet we're so focused on kind of this one brand and this one interpretation. Um, so that was a little disappointing, but there was some notable exceptions. Um, yeah. And for me, the most successful ensembles seamlessly blended kind of the designer's own unique perspectives with that of Carl. I loved Anne Hathaway's custom Versace dress, which of course blended two fashion icons, Gianni Versace's famous safety pin dress, but it was done in Chanel boucle. So Mm -hmm. I really loved that. And then Sergio Hudson also did this incredibly form-fitting pink boucle stunner worn by Kiki Palmer. And he talked about the inspiration um, and that it honored both Josephine Baker and Karl Lagerfeld's work in the 50s because they were contemporaries of one another and they worked in Paris at the same time. So those sorts of stories and, and thoughtfulness and inspiration, I really I really like that's what I love about fashion and the less the less successful interpretations for me were you know the less subtle because you know Vera Wang and Lily Collins both showed up wearing huge ball gowns that had Carl on the on the hem yeah um his school of the obvious yeah Jeremy Pope had that you know in Balmain that huge cape that took you know all the stairs, like I don't even know how long that thing was, 30, 40 feet with a I, huge Carl Lagerfeld I do. image. I do. I have notes on it. Okay, actually. tell us about it. it. Was thir- <laughs> yes, it was a 30-foot long cape by Blama, <laughs> which featured a motif of Carl's face on the, yes. on the drape of the cape. And, uh, you know, it, it was interesting. I don't know, again, you know, kind of – you know, hitting the nail too square on the head, but it was beautifully done. Um, apparently, 70 seamstresses worked on it, and it was wow. uh, required a total of 5,000 meters of silk chiffon to kind of, like, um, create that, like, image motif on the back. So, yeah, interesting. Not my fave. Yeah, just literal, right? Like, just kind of like the Jared Little cat thing. Literal, like, not as... I mean, I like the nuance. I love the homages that are less less obvious. And that included, of course, our annual red carpet favorite, Jordan Ross. Always. Always. In custom Scaparelli. And he was dying over Risa's OnlyFans because he got the <laughs> OnlyFans box Stamped. on the bingo. And, and he then he messaged crack- all of us about it, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was cracking up. He was like, my favorite quote of the night or whatever. Um, because... Jordan literally went as a, he said, I'm a Carl Lagerfeld fan. Like he went as a fan. Um, (laughs) Jordan Roth, of course, is a past dressed guest, theater, you know, impresario, fashion provocateur, who always understands the assignment and is always on the best dress list and always at the top of my list because not only does he have excellent taste, but he also is so thoughtful and so, and brings so much care and conceptualization to every outfit he wears. And this was no exception. He escaped the Karl Lagerfeld trope trap by interpreting Lagerfeld's signatures in a playful and surrealist quote-unquote fantasy um, <laughs> brought to life by Daniel Roseberry and his incredible team of artists at Scaparelli. So he basically has this giant 
black fan emblazoned across his chest. But there's so much more than meets the naked eye. Further investigation reveals a multi-tiered love letter to Carl's design vocabulary. So there's a black glass mirror fan, which is an homage to Lagerfeld's favorite accessory. And this was embroidered with Carl's signature sunglasses, a camellia, a bow, and his beloved cat, Chupette. And these are all based on Carl's drawings. And this was accompanied by a corset made of stardust rhinestones and glass beads and a skirt comprised of almost half a million bugle beads. So a testament to many of Carl's signatures, yes, but also to the incredible skills of the artisans, as we were talking about, who are the beating heart of the haute couture production and have been for well over a century and who have largely defined Carl's work and um, success at Chanel, as we talked about with his institutionalization or institutionalized protection, I should say, of those embroidery, feather, flower-making artisans and artisan houses. Mm. Bravo, Jordan, always a favorite. So that was definitely one of my favorites. What about you? Definitely one of my favorites too. Jordan always knows how to bring the theatrics to the red carpet, but does it so well, right? So that whole ensemble that Cash just described was all black. Right. So even though there were these motifs pertaining to Carl on the fan itself, it was like black on black and it was matte and then it was shiny. And so he had to be at the exact right angle for you to even see that they were there. So it was like this like really smart kind of understated execution. Yeah. Execution, but also theatrical at the same time. Next is perennially one of my red carpet faves always. But this year. Maybe not so much. Um, I do want to talk about my girl, Janelle Monet. Uh, oh, their I look know. was <laughs> by Tom Brown. And it was just maybe a tad too much over the top for me this year. Um, she yeah. was doing Carl cosplay in a playful way. Um, that was a, a, a big grand reveal. There were three different layers to her ensemble. The outer layer was kind of like this gigantic black and white graphic coat and that was all when she took it off and it was like an overcoat when she took it off there was like a conical crinoline like gown that was sheer um and you could see through that gown um which eventually she did take off and underneath that there was a black and white sequin and pearl bikini all by tom ford but yeah you know i didn't get it she had a hard time managing it on the red carpet (laughs) as the reveal was happening she almost fell over a couple times two people had to help her and you know what i love her i adore her fashion choices i adore her adventurousness always 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 and so you know this really is an exception to to the rule i think it was just too much yeah there was so much tom brown and of course a lot of different designers paid homage to carl in the may issue of vogue so you saw like christopher john rogers homage to carl lagerfeld you saw tom brown's homage to carl lagerfeld and there's several other designers whose designs were featured in the may issue of vogue and then you saw those on the red carpet but there's so much tom brown and so it starts to get lost right it's not as like distinctive necessarily um and then kind of just kind of falls into those like tropes of carl so it's not that it's not beautiful and like I said, it's beautiful, but boring because like, let's see, let's see something different. Let's see something exciting. Let's see something like more vintage on the red carpet. Yay! <laughs> I'm just waiting to talk about this. Mm. <laughs> um, because my favorite, some of my, most of my favorite looks were when people wore clothes that they wore in history 
with Karl Lagerfeld. Mm. So like Giselle, for instance, wore this incredible haute couture gown that she had worn previously in a shoot with Karl Lagerfeld from like 20 or so years ago. Um, So I thought that was really cool. And I just thought this was such a prime opportunity to wear vintage on the red carpet. Of course, Mm -hmm. we had the huge controversy with Kim Kardashian last year wearing Marilyn Monroe's dress. This is different. (laughs) a lot of people wore archival chanel looks and that was really cool i just kind of wish i'd seen they weren't pulled from museums that's the difference (laughs) (laughs) these are fashion pieces that belong to high-end vintage collectors or dealers or people who have have that cultural history that rent or sell these pieces to be worn (laughs) yes that's what they're there for Uh, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Do you want to talk about your favorites and I'll talk about some of my favorites of these kind of vintage, vintage homages? One of my favorites, I got real excited when I saw it on the red carpet, because let's not forget, I had already been to the morning aspect of the day. So I knew when I saw Vanessa Kirby on the red carpet in vintage Chloe, that a variant of the dress she was wearing was actually in the exhibition. And I was like, Oh, It was a different colorway, but uh, Vanessa Kirby is, of course, the actor who plays Princess Margaret on The Crown, which is another fashion-loaded production all in and of itself. But uh, she was wearing a vintage Chloe trompe l'oeil shower dress. So it is a racer back dress. And and towards like the uh, right below the neck between the shoulder blades, there is a beaded shower head motif. And then the beads that fall down the back of the dress mimic water falling down from the shower head. Um, so it's simple, but also playful at the same time. You, the, the front of the dress is very, very simple. And then you get all the drama in the back. Uh, so there is actually a version of that in the exhibition itself. So that was yeah. one of my favorites. And as we talked about, his design lexicon extended well beyond Chanel, right? Um, that began in 1983, but he was designing all the way back to the 1950s. And so those that kind of breadth of design was largely missing, except for these like in small pockets of, of interest, like Vanessa Kirby, but also Margaret Zhang and Olivia Wilde, respectively, mm. both wore versions of the violin dress. Margaret, I think, wore the actual 1984 version, and Olivia Wilde wore a more contemporary rendition of it, where they the house of chloe kind of reissued that dress like 10 years ago or something um but again like a trompe l'oeil uh, violin dress and just his work at chloe was just so much more playful right mm-hmm. um and so different than chanel it would have been cool to have seen more of that breadth of of um design aesthetic across the red carpet but i was still really grateful for the vintage moments that we did see yes 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 what about do you have another one of your favorites so i think Despite Karl Lagerfeld's long history of fat phobia, and if you read that book that I suggested at the top, (laughs) The Beautiful Fall, you'll learn more about it because he himself struggled with his weight throughout his life. Um, But plus size attendees at this red carpet were a huge, you know, a fashion statement, but also kind of a direct F you to Karl Lagerfeld in a way. (laughs) Um, And this was brilliantly represented by Lizzo, who was actually dressed by Chanel. And I think this was kind of shown Chanel addressing that and kind of saying, we are not Karl Lagerfeld. We are not, you know, anti-fat. And we're going to dress this huge international star beautifully. And they recreated an archival Karl Lagerfeld for Chanel look. And then kind of in the best F you to Carl moment, she's she photographed herself eating French fries in her Chanel homage to Carl Lagerfeld in the kitchen. In, in an kitchen. industrial kitchen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Lizzo always has something to say and she does it in the best way. Love her. Yeah. So you also had uh, Ashley Graham and Custom Harris Tweed, which was a beautiful homage to the iconic Chanel powder pink gown from fall 8788. Uh, Harvey Gillian in a custom pink French tweed tuxedo by Christian Seriano. And so all those people broke free also of that black and white color palette that was like over, over and over again on the red carpet. Um, it's so refreshing to see and really kind of the only like maybe like political or kind of like you know, kind of controversy, I guess you could say, on the red carpet, um, mm-hmm. maybe more subtle, because all yeah. of the looks were approved by Anna Wintour, but I'm yeah. glad that they made it. Well, it was interesting, because when Rice and I were discussing the squares for the Met Gala bingo card, we thought for sure that there was going to be some Carl callouts, like, seen on the red carpet, like people calling him out for some of these his problematic viewpoints or statements in the past. And we really didn't see that too much. So our, um, our square, which was called let's get political did not get checked off the box. And it probably does have something to do with the fact that Anna, Anna Wintour has to prove everyone's outfit. I, there is one last look that I would like to mention. Um, and I'm just going to pull it all the way back to Carl's love of fashion history. If I can here for a second. Um, one of the other pieces that I, that I liked, which is, Maybe somewhat of a subtle fashion history reference, unless you are a fashion historian. And that was Michelle Yeoh's vintage Karl Lagerfeld couture look. Um, it was a kind of uh, high-waisted, uh, off-the-shoulder, white, kind of almost like button-up shirt look with, with a um, trailing long black skirt. But what was interesting were the sleeves on this right. dress. They were a very direct reference to sleeve styles, these ginormous, billowing, trailing sleeve styles that we see during kind of like the late Renaissance. Um, right. <laughs> and um, I loved that. I got it immediately. Carl was fascinated with fashion history. And I, one of the reasons why I want to talk about this dress is to, to tell you all a little bit of inside scoop that I got about something that didn't appear in the Met Gala exhibition. So uh, that same week, I had uh, lunch with our friends Antoine and Nicolas from Dictats. Um, they are fashion ephemera dealers um, who work out of France. Cass and I have become close friends with them over the years, um, and we will be seeing them in Paris very soon, or in Lille. They've, we've been invited to come to their house to see all their, their stuff. But, Yay! Uh, I know. Um, but one of the things that they were telling me when we were having lunch that week was that they had actually sold the Met, this whole collection of vintage fashion plates from the 18th and 19th century that belonged to Carl. They were his wow. fashion plates that he used as inspiration and reference. And a lot of them had sketches on them. So the front would be the original like dress silhouette from, you know, let's say the 1850s and you turn it over and on the back was a Karl Lagerfeld sketch of a new contemporary design by him based on the silhouette or something else that he liked from the fashion plate on the front. So originally I think those, I know those were supposed to go onto the desk um, scenario with a very, very messy desk scenario, but they didn't make it. And I kind of understand now why, because how that ended up happening, the desk is kind of like raised up and high. You wouldn't have been able to look at something that detailed um, down on the desk. But just saying, you know, 
things sometimes get cut from exhibitions for, for various reasons, but there was some intention there. Carl was a big fashion history fan, big fashion history buff. Well, on that note, dress listeners, if you don't have anything else, April, I think that kind of concludes our coverage of the Met Gala. I think, you know, obviously, again, like I said, it was beautiful, but boring with some notes and hints of like really cool stuff happening. But that's just what's going to happen when you have like kind of a limited theme that pays homage to the singular version vision of one person. But I will say it was an homage to beautiful clothes, maybe a loss on originality, but a win for vintage circular fashion. Let's see more vintage circular fashion moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for rejoining us back again as Dressed has gone independent. We are so excited. We have so much left uh, coming this season and so much more new types of content coming your way very, very soon. We do, of course, in this transition, um, have a new email address, which is hello at dressedhistory.com. You can also go over to our new website, which is dressedhistory.com. Our Instagram remains exactly the same, which is dressed underscore podcast. Um, you can also find us on Facebook at dress podcast without the underscore. And we would love to hear from you about the types of new content that you would like to see from us. Absolutely. And reach out to us, send us a line. Also, if you want to join our newsletter, let us know your email address. And if you have a time to take to rate and review us on your podcast listening platform of choice, we appreciate your support us on this journey and more dress coming your way on Thursday. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.